so all this craziness is happening. You've just kind of fallen into it then, right? I think that's a good way to put it. I, I can tell you when I got my doctorate, I thought I would be delivering pizza. Uh, and then okay. the world sort of came up around me and, and provided lots of uh, opportunities for me to practice my trade. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Conklin. How are you today? I hope everything is grand as grand can be. So today's podcast is a theme kind of attached to uh, last week's podcast with Paul Cullen, which uh, was quite a successful podcast. My goodness, people were super. I got a lot of comments on that, and it was great. Paul's amazing, and he has something good to say. This podcast this week is actually an interview that was done with me by the New Mexico Association of Broadcasters. And they wanted to talk about the connection between safety and security. And what they really wanted to talk about was um, violence, workplace violence or violence that somehow threads its way into the workplace. So I don't know how much uh, I've told you, how much have we hung out a lot? But um, I I, uh, spent a tremendous amount of time on the detection of unusual behavior and workplace violence classes uh, within the Department of Energy uh, during my career. And so I have lots and lots of background. I was on a big FBI, um, federal law enforcement, FBI-led, um, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. Like it was a big meeting where they got a bunch of people together and we sat in a room and talked about stuff. Uh, and they had donuts, which every meeting is better with donuts. And we talked about... Um, workplace violence. And then I've spent a tremendous amount of time with uh, Dr. Mark McElhaney, if you don't know him. Uh, he's amazing as well. He's my buddy in Atlanta, who who's probably the foremost expert uh, on earth on workplace violence, violence diffusion, um, talking people down. This, this line between safety and mental health is getting fuzzier and fuzzier. It's probably always been fuzzy. I mean, I don't, I don't think this is uh, some kind of new thing, but it's really changed the way we look at and understand and think about our jobs to a great extent. I was talking to a group of people the other day from a big organization who were talking about suicides in the workplace. And it's, it was kind of a problem they have. I mean, and if you talk to the Park Service about suicides, this, this crossover is pretty interesting. And so... I kind of thought the best thing to do with this podcast is just to, well, just to play that interview and and see what you guys think. It's a chance for you to to listen in on on someone else's podcasting style for sure, but it's also an opportunity to uh, think more about this line between safety and mental health and wellness and security. And all those things that we do. So without much uh, further ado, although I always have plenty of ado going on, um, I'll play this podcast and then maybe we can talk a little bit on the backside of it. So this is is an interview with the New Mexico Association of Broadcasters on safety, security, and workplace violence. See what you think. Uh, Welcome to the next edition of NMBA's uh, podcast, and today we're going to talk about something that just seems to have invaded our world, invaded our space, and invaded our safety, 
And we have Todd Cochran on the line today. And we're going to be talking about what to do in this world, Todd, that we have all of these active shooters that are just going into places we thought were safe that seems like nothing's really safe anymore. Yep. Don't you think? Yeah, it's uh, and it's, it's amazing, isn't it? It's, it's amazing when they talked about the the um, the one in California, and they talked about that's one of the safest neighborhoods around. And then when they talked about Parkland in Florida, it's a, it's a very upscale neighborhood. And we're used to thinking that these things happen not in my neighborhood, but they are happening in my neighborhood and in all of our neighborhoods. So Todd, tell me how you got involved in doing this and speaking to groups about how to keep their environment safer. So I spent 27 years at Los Alamos National Laboratories, which everyone on your podcast will know about that. Um, and uh, there I worked with uh, human reliability programs. So I worked a lot with threat assessment. I worked a lot with how humans perform in high-risk operations. And I worked a lot with safety and some security, certainly, um, and I did that for a really long time. And then they offered a, an early retirement program uh, because they needed some space for new people. And so I, re- I was able to retire early. And my intention was to lay around in Santa Fe and eat candy. But unfortunately, the world um, swallowed that idea and spit it back out in my face. And now I work a lot with companies all over the world. And I mostly work with resilience and reliability, um, which actually fits nicely into the introduction that you're bringing up. I help I help organizations manage uncertainty. And what is more uncertain than thinking you're going to work one day or you're thinking you're going out to dinner or you think you're going to be someplace where this isn't going to happen? How do we deal with all this? How do we protect ourselves? How do we make ourselves safe? So making ourselves safe, is, is a, that's a really good question, but I'm not sure that's the first question we should ask, at least in this discussion, because when you have uncertain outcomes, you manage them with certain capability. And the question that I would ask, and it's a really good question, is where does this begin? Does it begin with a bad guy having a bad idea and going in and shooting people, or does it begin before that? And And do we have to ask how we look at these shooters and – is the way we see these shooters coloring the way we respond to these shooters. Because it's really easy to respond to these emotionally and say, a bad person did a bad thing, and therefore we should punish all bad people. And that's kind of where the idea that you hear, um, and you hear this a lot, that the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Well, from a more system standpoint, from a, from a, from a person who's interested more in resilience and reliability of a system or a, a society, that question is probably the wrong question. And maybe what we ought to be asking is, how did we get into a position where all the components necessary for a psychologically marginalized person to respond in such a way is possible? Is it availability of guns? Well, that's a pretty good debate to have. It's not popular, but it's one to have. Is it availability of mental health? Is it availability of PTSD treatment for people who have pretty severe forms of PTSD? And and part of our challenge is, is to realize that we can't fix the last shooting that happened because it's already happened. What we ought to be fixated in is understanding the components that are necessary for the next shooting to take place. Does that help you? 
yeah, but how do we stop? Okay, so tell me, how do I stop or how do we negate the next shooting? Well, so I think you have to ask that question a little differently. I think you have to say, are we a society? Is New Mexico a society where a person who's feeling marginalized has places to go other than going into a school or a church or an office building and shooting? Are there are there other options for them available, easy to get to, effective, not a lot of uh, uh, psychological risk for them to actually de-escalate that process before it happens? It's it's really important that we understand that the research shows us that the people who do these shootings didn't just snap. They they didn't just wake up one day and say, "Today I'm crazy. Today I'm going to shoot people." There's a lot of um, there's a lot of time and a lot of emotional pain that goes into the heads of these shooters, and there are a lot of indicators early that problems are near. And so, what we have to be good at, and this is a big part of the challenge for us as a society, is understanding and picking up on weak signals, and then having places to send people who have these extreme feelings so they can de-escalate those extreme feelings in a way other than shooting people. Does that make sense? It makes sense, and I understand that. But what do I tell uh, my radio station in Hobbs who is worried about their safety? How do I I make them feel that they can control the situation in some manner or they're not as vulnerable to having – that person come in and and shoot them all down how do you how do you give them the power to think that they are in more control of their situation how do you do that well the quick answer and it's not a very satisfying answer is they're they're kind of not i mean and and so given that as the as the background the 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 world is full of uncertain outcomes then you talk to a radio station in hobbs and you say how secure is your facility how much have you talked about the potential of this event happening? Have you had a practice session? Do you drill this information? Do Have you prepared for the worst while expecting the best? Uh, have you created an environment where when some kind of extreme vulnerability like this happens, your system has the capacity, the, you've practiced it, you've got the right locks on the doors, you've got the right emergency buttons underneath the desk, so that when something happens, you can respond quickly. Have you built relationships with law enforcement? Those questions are really important questions because those are the things we can manage. The problem, and it really is a problem, is it's really, really hard to predict who's going to take this action or where they're going to take the action. So we've got the entire, we've got every radio station in New Mexico, right, versus every single crazy actor in New Mexico. And the potential is really high. And so we have to look at this problem and say we manage the perimeter of the radio station. It's hard to get in. And there's lots of security. And we've practiced and drilled these things. And we also then take the, take the mantle up and say we have to provide better mental health services for people who are being recognized as marginalized so they have a place to go so we can monitor and de-escalate their activities. So we can do the the basic stuff like train our employees, get our facilities ready. I think our TV stations here in Albuquerque have become a lot 
more aware of this and it's it's very you can't just walk into a tv station anymore uh you can still walk into probably most radio stations but television stations have become more secure so then after we kind of we set up a plan with our employees then we really need to work i think what i'm hearing you say is we need to work with a community to kind of figure out who these who is out there are there people that we should there's a community that we should know is that what you're saying and, and work we, with our community. Yeah, absolutely. And do we have the right support systems in place to de-escalate this? The problem with the de-escalation is that every time we de-escalate a guy from becoming an active shooter, he doesn't become an active shooter. So we don't know how many times a church or a hospital or a doctor's office or a barber or a neighbor has de-escalated a, a, a potential event because the event didn't happen. But I think we have to look at both. We have to look at the perimeter of the radio station or the TV station. Radio stations concern me because lots of times there's only one person in the station. And so it's probably locked. I mean, when I worked in radio, we always locked the door. But there's not a deep pool of resources to draw on in a radio station. TV stations have more people. And so part of what we do is we, we build a safe and secure broadcast facility that has some limits to sort of free access. And at the same time, we build relationships with the community um, as a member, uh, an important member of, of all of our communities, where we talk about the bigger systemic issues. Uh, we can't look at this problem as a bad guy did a bad thing, even though that's exactly what happened. A bad guy did a bad thing. We have to look back farther and say, how have we gotten into a position where this outcome is now more and more likely. Is it a weakness in our people or is it a weakness in our support systems? Can you kind of pinpoint when you think it made a turn to where we had, I think they said between um, shootings, mass shootings, there were like 12 in this country, 12 that we didn't even hear about. I'm sure nobody heard about the shooting in Albuquerque of the um, food supplier where he went and shot. I mean, that didn't make the national news. Right. Made our news, but it didn't make. So how many of those are there out there we didn't hear? When did all of this seem to happen, do you think? Do you think there was a time, a point in our in our society where all of a sudden this became the way that people that have issues dealt with them? So that's a really good question. We've always been a relatively violent society. That's kind of a part of our identity. But it seems like we took a turn, and the big indicator, sort of the bellwether event, was Columbine in Denver. And Columbine really changed the way we not only understood these active shooters, but it changed the way we responded to these active shooters. We used to believe in the old days we could we, we could talk our way out of trouble. But now we believe that, in fact, once trouble starts, we have to act really quickly, which is why law enforcement has done a tremendous amount of training around active shooters. And you hear about it, right? In my mind. Yeah, you heard. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, mean, I was just thinking about the one in California. They talked about how many people were saved because of the way that a police officer or a law enforcement or a first responder now reacts to an active shooter. Right. It wasn't the way it used to. So we save more lives, but we, you know, we're just seeing more of them now. To me, the question that you want to ask is, 
when did we when did we when did we become less available to managing marginalized people and whose responsibility is it to help us manage these marginalized people and are we having more marginalized people in our society and those questions are harder to answer i mean there's not going to be a a columbine event for that and there you know what and and the question does need to be addressed but i think in in a higher a higher place than in a radio station in Hobbs or radio. I think that our radio stations can start those conversations within their community that we need to address and all that, but it's going to take place in places like Santa Fe or in Washington where people of that stature can see that this problem needs to be addressed as well as the whole gun issue. Don't you think? Yes. And and the challenge is, is that's absolutely right. But the challenge is, is that shouldn't stop us from having that conversation in Hobbs. And that shouldn't stop us from, from saying, how can we make a community that is supportive enough so that when a marginalized person is recognized, we have a process by which the right people are alerted and the right de-escalation processes, the right interventions take place. And and that is... And I think, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and I think that we're not, broadcasters are not... Uh, first responders, but what we are in our first informers, and we as a an organ and as an industry, and what we've always done is keep our communities informed as to what's happening, how is how, what affects our communities, and just what you're saying is that the radio station in Hobbs, uh, in Las Vegas, all of these people need to start this conversation within their communities about how do we deal with these people. And that, that I think, is a very meaningful first start that won't happen in Washington, D.C., and probably won't even happen in Santa Fe, but can absolutely happen in Hobbs and Las Vegas and Raton and those places where, where the broadcasters are not just in the community, they're a giant part of the community. They play a really interesting role in helping create an awareness that the way we look at these problems has to change. If we look at these as bad people doing bad things, then the answer is always going to be we need fewer bad people and bad people are bad. But if we look at this as a bigger systemic problem and say we have a situation now where people's coping mechanisms out or under-respond reality and they have no place to go other than the school to do a shooting or an office to do a shooting. And that's where we want to kind of at least start the conversation. That's a huge part. That's how a person who's interested in resilience and reliability looks at this problem, which is different than a person who's interested in revenge or even a person that's interested in law enforcement. And I think the, um, the point to this or the kind of, the, there are two issues that broadcasters and maybe even people across the country, I mean, anybody that works in place, anybody that goes in, because there are two things that you have to do. First of all, is to, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but first of all, I think what we need to do is figure out a, a way to keep us safe and keep our offices safe and keep our public uh, places safe. And how we do that was with plans and organization and a conversation amongst your staff on what do we do if something happens, just like they do in schools now. Or they have rehearsals and we have these, you know, an active shooter 
uh, events. And then the second part, and probably the most crucial part, is what you're talking about, and that is the conversation about who are these people and how do we find them in our communities and how do we address the needs that they're facing. So what do you think? Uh, it's an interesting discussion, to be sure. Uh, no question about it. We can talk more about it if you want to. There's plenty to talk about, and I didn't really get into uh, the nuts and bolts, the details. I could actually have Mark on and talk about the nuts and bolts of details, especially as it relates to intervention and, and what these guys do when they when they identify somebody that's that's exhibiting unusual behavior and there's been some kind of stressor event, uh, termination or, I don't know, the discipline or something, uh, how they actually are really quite effective at identifying this and then de-escalating the situation and then managing it both for the immediate term and for the long term. So there's lots going on here, that's for sure. We could talk forever. Hope your year's going well. January is zooming by at lightning speed. I know this because I just had to pay my credit card bill, which is kind of a end of the month. I don't know. My credit cards are doing the 23rd, which seems weird to me. But I think I can change that, but then I would have to actually talk to my credit card people. And Well, who would want to do that on purpose? You know what I mean? I, I don't, I'm not that guy. I'm not the credit card talking to guy. So until then, though, this is the podcast, and uh, I hope you found it interesting. I'll be around. There's lots more good stuff coming up for sure. Um, actually, this year's pretty incredible. There's a ton of great stuff coming up. Think about this connection between security, safety, and wellness. Um, it's a kind of a two-week theme for us, but I think it's an important one as well. Until then, my friends, learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can, and for goodness sakes, be safe. Be safe.